Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today is March 11th. I'm Mike Prada. Ben Epstein, normally, who comes on with us, is out this week. He uh, tore his Achilles playing basketball, a la Mario Chalmers. So everybody send your best wishes to Ben, uh, and we will miss him. But I'm really excited you know, to have our guest on the line uh, this week. He writes for Real GM. He has a great site called Pattern of Basketball. And with it being Rookie Week here on SBNation.com this week, I could think of nobody better to join me as we talk about this year's rookie class and look ahead to next year. I want to welcome Jonathan Jarks to the show. Jonathan, how are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. It's I like that we're doing this in the middle of the dog days of the season, also as we kind of prep for March Madness as the rest of the world forgets about us. So, And I don't know about you, the reason I thought this would be a great idea for a theme week is just I think this rookie class is incredible and I can't think of one you know maybe 2003 is the last one that comes to mind that showed this much promise so soon but I've also heard from a couple other people who have said that you know I'm getting a little ahead of myself you know that this class is promised but we're not quite there yet where do you think this class ranks I mean do you agree that this class is showing a lot more than a lot of other classes in the past I mean, for sure, the potential is there. Like, I, you asked me before the show, I was trying to think of, like, the, since 2003. And what jumped to mind is really 2008. And that kind of shows you why you have to wait out of classes for a while. Because, like, that, like, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, Derek Rose, Brooke Lopez, Eric Gordon. You look at, like, Rose and Gordon. If those guys had stayed healthy, how would that class have been? But you never really know that kind of stuff, how it happens. It's also It's also true that, in 2008, and really any year, uh, it does take these guys some time. I mean, in 2008, we were still talking about whether Kevin Love or O.J. Mayo was the right pick. And obviously, that looks really silly now. And so some of the stuff that goes on this year, uh, early on, will not manifest itself going forward. But it just feels like the depth of the class is incredible. It feels like these guys are on winning teams and doing big things for winning teams. You got the star potential with Carl Towns, with Porzingis, even with someone like a Miles Turner, or my personal favorite, Justice Winslow, and on and on and on. It just feels like these guys are hitting the ground running. And it also feels like there are some teams that probably made mistakes at the top of the draft, and that'll come in time. But I don't think there's any one team that really royally messed up their pick. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's just like with this draft, it's like every position has really good players on it. There's a ton of good big men. You got like four or five seven-footers in the lottery. There's a lot of good wings, you know, Justice, Stanley Johnson, Hizonia. And you got good point guards, too, D'Angelo Russell, Emmanuel Moutier, Cameron Payne. So not only is it deep, it's deep across the board. So, like, every team in the lottery should have been able to get a high-level start out of this draft. And that might be the case. We'll see, obviously. But, yes, it's very exciting right now what you are seeing. Is it better or worse than you expected when you were looking at these guys uh, in college? Obviously, again, still early. But is it better or worse than what you thought? I would say better. There's a few guys that have surprised me. I would say the biggest surprise for me is when Devin Booker. Because in college, he was such a small role player. He spotted up off the ball. He wasn't too athletic. He wasn't very long. And I was kind of unsure about him. 
Then he comes to the NBA, and it's like, wow, he gets minutes. He's just all of a sudden he's this freaking offensive monster, hand on the ball, running pick and rolls, shooting off the dribble threes. That's really, I think he's the biggest price for me so far. It's funny you mention him because I we've talked about this, and you've written this a lot. In your when you work, you had an ebook that came out a couple. I think it was a couple years ago called "The Pattern of Basketball." That one of the big central thesis theses of the of the book was this point. And I think Devin Booker is an interesting guy you bring up because it even surprised you because I think it's a great illustration of this point. Sometimes college lies just in terms of what what role these guys have in their team, who they're surrounded by. Someone who's productive in college may be productive in college because they're very good, but also may be productive because they're in a perfect role for them. They have the right pieces around them. They have a good coach that's whose job is really for them is to maximize that player. And then sometimes you have the flip side, which is maybe you have a coach that doesn't really maximize this player's potential because he's trying to win and maybe they're the wrong pieces around him. Or you have a situation like Devin Booker and a couple other guys, I think, in this class where you have one team that is so loaded with talent that everybody can't possibly shine. And I think Devin Booker is a great example. You talk about all those things that he's showing he can do. Even if he could do those things in college, where was he going to show it on that team? Yeah, for sure. I mean... Looking back at it, Cal playing the Harrisons over the Booker and Euless. That's going to be a great crime in basketball history, that one right there. And that's one of the tough parts of being a college coach is like if you have older players and you have young guys better than them, is getting those older players to take a smaller role. And that's very, very hard because also your older players are the guys who are leaders of your team. They kind of like, for example, in practice, off the court. And you're expecting those guys to show the young guys the kind of the ropes of being a college player. So it's difficult, it's really difficult to tell those guys, hey, you're smart leaders, but we're going to hurt your pro potential for the young guy's pro, but he's better than you. It's like, that's hard to tell a 19-year-old who's been a star his whole life. Right. And that, I think the last point is important, too, because the Harrison Twins were, I want to say, top five, top ten recruits. And now they're getting beat out by, I mean, it wasn't just Booker, you also have Tyler... I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Tyler Ewells. Uh, you also had uh, even someone like a Trey Lyles or uh, some of the other players they had. They were better, and they they didn't really fit all that well together, that team. They're just, at least offensively, they're just so overwhelming. So I think that's a really it's a really interesting point, and I think you see that in college more than the pros. I mean, in the pros, you have these occasional examples of, okay, the younger guy is better than the established guy. And it will take a coach a little bit of time to realize that. But at the end of the day, it is so much about wins and losses. And they'll usually make the right decision. I think in the college, it still feels like the upperclassmen myth, the legend of the upperclassmen sort of carries these guys through. There's a sense of you got to do right by the people who have stuck by you for a year or two or whatever. That's a great example in Kentucky, I think. Well, here's another good example of that. So last year at Texas, you had Miles Turner and Cameron Ridley. Ridley was a junior, McDonald's All-American, returning All-Big 12 player. Turner's much more talented. But Rick Barnes knows if I bench Ridley as a junior, I've lost him forever. And if I focus on Turner as a freshman, the next season, Turner's gone and Ridley's gone. But I got Ridley four more seasons as a senior, so if I make Turner a reserve, I can maximize Ridley's two years, and maybe I get Turner's an extra year. So it's like, as a college coach, you have to always balance the present and the future. And walking that line is just so difficult. Yeah, and, and there's a sense, too, that you're, 
you're maybe not ready as a freshman. And you get that a little bit in the NBA too, but I think there's a real seniority kind of culture. Let's talk about Miles Turner though. I mean, and this is a this is a player that you've been high on for a long time. And yet 10 teams pass on him, and Indiana's now reaping the benefits. A couple teams pass on him that pick players at his position, guys who were more successful in college, Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, Frank Kaminsky. How come teams can't understand this idea of this player is much better but is just caught in a bad situation, and we're going to take the 30 games he plays in college over the several years he played in the youth circuit? Why is it so hard for some teams to realize that even now? I mean, to be fair, part of the turn thing was like it was a weird medical issue with the way he ran. That's true. That's yeah. that kind of clouds the issue a bit. But I think, in a way, it's a little bit. It's with, with the statistics that becoming a bigger and bigger deal. So you run these regressions, you look at your models, and you trust your models. And it's hard because stats in the NCA and stats in the NBA are so different. Right. But, so it's hard to like differentiate that. Like with Turner, his stats were not very good. So you have to make kind of a leap of faith. And I think, too, there's a lot of groupthink. Like, I remember talking to a front office guy last year about Turner. I'm like, yeah, this guy has top five tools, but you take him top five, you're going to get killed by the media. And your owner's like, what's going on? Like, take a tie, take a Okafor, take whatever. At least at that moment, there's less kind of pressure on you to go with the kind of consensus. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but, you know, that's true. And especially now also with owners taking a bigger role, I think, in decisions. You know, they don't have the time to scout Miles Turner, but they feel a a level of investment in their franchise. And so what did Turner average last year? You know, did he even approach 10 points a game? I think he was at 10. I can check real quick. I mean, of course, the classic example is uh, Vivek and that infamous video of him taking Nick Stauskas at 8, right? Yeah. (laughs) That'll live forever in infamy, I think. Yeah, and and they could have taken the other choice was I think Alfred Payton, uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. Uh, let's let's bring it back a little bit to talking about the class as a whole. We talked about how it's deep at every position. Uh, the one the one position that it feels especially deep at is up front, where you've got Carl Towns, you've got Porzingis, you've got Miles Turner, you have Nikola Jokic in Denver, who I think could be really good. You've got even Cauley Stein, Kaminsky, Bobby Portis. All of these guys, except for the one, of course, that we haven't mentioned that you've written a lot about Jalil Okafor, we can kind of toss him to the side for a second. Other than him, all of these guys, I would say, have small skills in big men. And we always talk about this revolution of when is the time going to be when big men really, truly all have perimeter skills and we really are going to get this positionless style. It feels like this year's class is starting to really usher that in. Uh, and I think that's what's really interesting about you know how how these guys are going to develop. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's just the evolution of the game in real time, right? That's what's fun to watch about basketball is watching how these guys kind of adapt. Like, you look at the Warriors, how they play. Like, a traditional big man's got to adapt or he's not going to be able to play in the NBA much longer. So these young guys in the AU ball, they're watching basketball. They want to be guards. And again, they're just figuring out how to play as guards instead of just being like big men. How good do you think Carl Anthony Towns can be? Like, is can he be? I mean, is he? There's been talk that he's Anthony Davis and maybe better level. I mean, is that realistic? I mean, could he be that good? I think so. Like, I guess it's not even a hot take anymore. But I like Towns more than Davis because I saw. I felt like Towns was Davis with like thirty pounds with yep. a developed post game, with more passing ability. I mean, like. 
I'm I couldn't be higher on Carl Towns. So it's like from Star Wars, he's gonna bring balance to the force. Like <laughs> this is your seven footer with guard skills. Like he's pretty much my favorite cosplay I've ever watched. I would say. Yeah, he, let's hope he doesn't turn to the the dark side of poor coaching in the NBA with the Timberwolves. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the thing he didn't mention too is when he entered the league, right? He he already knows defensive nuances. I feel like even now Anthony Davis isn't all the way there on that. With Carl Towns, I mean, he's stuck in a system. I would say it's a little too aggressive for my taste in Minnesota. I think that if they dropped a little more, it would be better. But he knows where to be. Position positionally more so than even Davis does now. I mean, that's the scary thing to me is that you know we we haven't had that one big man yet that just has every skill. You know, someone like a Draymond Green can function the way he is in part because he can kind of be this facsimile of a big man, even though he I think was sort of a perimeter player in college. He's kind of a little bit of a hybrid. Carl Towns feels like he can do all the things Draymond Green does, but he's actually a big guy. Yeah, like for me, when I'm looking at these prospects, the first thing I ask is, like, what are the holes in his game? Like, can he shoot? Can he pass? Can he rebound? Can he get his own shot? Can he defend his position? Can he protect the rim? With Towns, it's like, yes to everything. There's no, like, obvious weakness in his game. It's amazing. That's to me, is, like, the most impressive part about him. Like, I remember I first watched him in the Hoop Summit. I think it was in 2014. He was on Wiggins' team. I think he was with Jabbar that year, too. On the, it's, like, international versus high school. He was a year ahead. And he's 17 years old, and I'm watching him play, and I'm like, man, get him on the Mavericks right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's wearing Sam D'Alembert today. <laughs> yeah. It's also funny that in college he couldn't shoot the ball like he's, he could in high school. And I don't know, do you think that that helped him, or do you think that just kind of was pointless? He should have just played his game in college. Well, I mean, I think that was Cal, because that was a knock on him coming into college that he was too much of a perimeter guy. So Cal's like, let's get you on the box. Let's get show the scouts they want to see, you know, prepare you for the NBA. I mean, I think it was it worked out fine for him, obviously. Yeah, I mean it's it's nuts. So Town's clearly a Hall of Fame talent. Do you think there's anyone else in this class that has that ability to kind of be a peer for him? I mean, is Porzingis good enough? Is Miles Turner good enough? I mean, is there someone else? I mean, even a Russell maybe or Winslow that can approach I certainly maybe not be as good as Towns, but can sort of act as a peer of sorts, you know, someone who's close to that level. I mean, I think I'd hate to put a ceiling on these guys' games so young. Like, Hall of Fame is obviously, it's hard to say. Right, like yeah. That, right? I mean, I yeah. think you look at, like, the centers. I think Porzingis, Turner, call, Turner have a ton of ability. Collie Stein, probably not enough offense, but he's really good. Jaleel, not enough defense, and maybe he goes in time. He's really good, too. Your wing players, you know, I think with Stanley Johnson, Winslow, it's about their jump shots. Can they become like 40% three-point shooters? If that happens, I mean, who knows? Moody A2 is the same thing. I mean, there's probably 10 guys. I would I would say it's better to look at it like, could this guy be an all-star? Right. I think Hall of Fame is just so far. I mean, who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I just, think just... there might be like 8 to 10 guys with all-star ability. Whether they get it or not, we'll see. But I think that's kind of... It's a very a lot of blue chip players in this year's draft. Who other? I guess Porzingis, you would say, is probably the second best chance of becoming that level of a player. Who's number three? Is it Turner? Is it someone else? That's interesting. I'm a big Miles Turner guy. I think he's gonna be great. I could see the argument for D'Angelo Russell. I want to see about his defense. That's my main question with him. 
but I guess with a point guard, right, you can kind of get away with not being a great defender. Right. I could see him being like a, a Lillard type, maybe. I, I don't know. He's a pretty, he's a really good player. And I think Winslow and John and Stanley J, their jump shot. I'm curious on Mario Mazzoni. I just haven't watched him play enough. He's kind of in a bad spot in Orlando to really see what he can do. Yeah. He has, he has a ton of potential, a ton of ability. And then Booker, too. Let's see about his defense in a few years. But he's, a, he's got that, a, lot, a lot of talent also. Right. I, I think for a lot of these guys, we'll see about their defense as a, as a big topic. Uh, it's a guy, it's kind of a common thing. Back to Miles Turner. You know, the guy here reminds me most of it. I'm curious what you think of this is Rasheed Wallace with this, his ability to just kind of tower over you and shoot over you. And then he's got the mobility on, on both other ends. I haven't really seen him shoot a lot of threes this year, but it's just so interesting when they throw the ball to him in the post. He can literally just turn around and shoot over someone and make it. And that reminds me of how the the Blazers used to use Sheed. I mean, there are a lot of complaints that, well, Sheed only shoots jumpers. But when you can just turn around and just throw your arms that high in the air and shoot over someone, that that's a good enough move on its own. So, I mean, that's the guy that he reminds me most of. I don't know if you, there's a comp that makes me That's interesting. Like, I would say the difference, I would say Rashid is a little more fluid. Like, Rashid, I would say actually, like, Carl Towns is who Rashid could have been if Rashid was like a 25 point a game scorer and had mm-hmm. was totally locked in the basketball. Because Rashid Wallace, man, that guy was oh, his talent was unreal. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't say Towns is Turner's kind of fluid. To me, he's kind of like a hybrid, like Lamarcus meets Roy Hibbert in the middle mm-hmm. of this guy's game somewhere. Like I think he could be a great defensive five with a post game and a three point shot. But my guess is he's never going to be a dribble drive guy. Like he's either right. shot or posting up. I don't think about too much of an in between game. Right, and they got they have him playing the four now. I think eventually he's got to probably shift to the five. I would think. I mean, they just Yamahimi's played really well for them, and I think their system they need two bigs to kind of protect the rim. So I, that's probably that. Uh, the other guy, I mean, the other guy we haven't talked a lot about. And I'm curious to think if you think this guy really is the real deal or if it's kind of just he's doing the limited minutes is Jokic out in Denver and there's some things that he can do with the ball that I'm amazed by I mean he's strength wise he's not all the way there yet I mean but can he approach that that level I mean he's really good like I'm a little I'm a little behind Jokic because I never watched him much in Europe so I'm kind of at him but he's definitely very very talented and I think what you're saying with him is like even in 2015 2016 when you scout Europe man you can really find some steals like, Denver's got him, Laverne, Nurkic, all of pretty late picks are talent level. It's impressive. I mean, like, he's very, very skilled on offense, Jokic. Can he get more physically developed? How would he be on defense? But, yeah, that guy could be a great player for a long time for sure. Yeah, 41st pick in the draft last Unbelievable. Year. I mean, it, it really is. And... I, that's it. That's actually a contrast, I would say, to this year, where you look at you look at the top beyond the top fourteen of this year's draft. You've got a couple interesting players back there, but most of the talent, I would say, is settled in the lottery. You know, you have. I mean, I guess you have Bobby Portis. You have uh, a couple other interesting players, but I mean, there are a couple guys you really like that haven't really had a chance yet to show their skill. But the top fourteen is really where it's at. I mean, you've got almost all the top players there from 2 to 13. And it, it does go back to the point where it's like every every one of these picks has kind of worked out to some degree so far. Um, but anyway, let, I guess we should briefly talk about the two wings before we move on to some of the guys that you think are real surprises and are not getting enough attention. Winslow versus Stanley, I have a clear preference. Do you think it's as obvious 
that Winslow is a better player, or do you think it's not not clear yet? I wouldn't say it's obvious. I think like they've been kind of compared for like their entire lives. It's interesting. They go back like you know, say like eighth graders. He's a little. I think the main thing for Stanley Johnson is a lot bigger, so maybe he can be a full time four, whereas Winslow's probably just more of a three. So like if you deploy like let's say in five years Stanley Johnson's the four next to Drummond, a lot of four spacing. I mean. But I would say Winslow's probably a little ahead of him in terms of ball skills and playmaking, and maybe it'll defense too. But I think it might be a more explosive score. Maybe it'll be every time getting a jump shot. I think those guys, I would say it's too hard to tell them who's a better player. It's interesting because Winslow is actually playing a lot of four, and I think the only reason is because he can't shoot. And so they've got to move him up position. But I'm just so impressed with like his defensive versatility already. I mean – I agree. I think Stanley, this is another one of those situations where maybe we need to evaluate the player irrespective of the context. Where you have, I think, Winslow is with the veteran team that is kind of slow and needs his jolt. Whereas I think Detroit, they're playing, they have a lot of guys like Stanley Johnson. So he's playing a lot with, with second unit players and he's got to create offense and he's been inefficient. You know, to your point, I suppose, this might be another situation where context has got to be evaluated. I mean, I would say it always, right? My always evaluate context. You know, Winslow, I saw him play in Dallas, and he absolutely shut down Chandler Parsons. I mean, he just, he was right in his shot. And Parsons, he's been playing really well this season. I mean, he couldn't do anything on Winslow. It was very impressive. Yeah, and I remember I watched that game, too. There was, I wrote about Winslow this week. There were two plays that really stood out besides all the work he did on Parsons. And one was he got J.J. Barea on a switch in, like, secondary transition, and Barea couldn't shake him and get to the basket. He kind of just held his arm up, and Berea literally shot the ball right into his arm. It was very impressive. And then, But then late in the game, he got switched on to Dirk, and he was fronting him and really pushing him out, and Dirk couldn't get a good shot on him either. And it's – I don't know. I haven't seen that level of defensive versatility with Stanley Johnson yet. I haven't seen that ability to guard three positions. Yeah, I mean, Justice Winslow's – his, like, basketball IQ is off the charts. Like, you look what happened last year with Duke's national championship. He was probably their most valuable player, what he was doing. And I would say with him, it's like, he reminds a lot of Kawhi. Like, if he becomes a 50% three-point shooter, right, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. That was, right. you know. Yeah, but but right now he's, what, at, like, 26%? Yeah, I mean, he's at 20 – he's at uh, – I really should have these things active as I go. 25%. So he's – and it's like a weird shot, right? It's kind of choppy. It, uh, he dips too much. It He doesn't have a fluid – it feels like his hips are really kind of stiff. You know, when a good shooter is, it feels loose, and with him it just doesn't. And I worry that that won't ever get there. I'm just – I just think it's so rare that a 19-year-old can pick up that – all the complicated nature of NBA defense this fast. And – you know, to your point, maybe it is a little getting ahead of yourself because maybe he's got it now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Stanley Johnson or someone else is going to get it eventually. You know, everybody develops on their own speed. The progression is not totally linear in every case. Right. All right. Let's get um. Let's get to some of your surprises. I know you have one guy that we haven't talked about that you think is criminally un- talked about, not talked about enough. Uh, who is that guy? Who do you think is the the one player that we haven't talked about, flying a little under the radar, that has a chance to really change this team in the league? Oh, I mean, to me, I guess number one is Trey Lyles. I mean, we talk about context. This is a guy who's just 
His first year at Kentucky, he really couldn't do anything with, with the system they were in. This guy is 6'10", 250, and he's playing the three full-time. So, like, he's playing the three with Stein at the five, Towns at the four, and then the Harrison's the one and the two. So there's no space around him. He's playing pure on the perimeter. He's guarding much smaller players. So I think his talent level, I think, is much higher than when he, I think, went 14. At yeah, 12. I remember at the McDonald's game, they were asking guys, like, compare with the NBA player, like, pick a guy who your game, reminds, your game resembles. And Lyle said, Carmelo Anthony meets Tim Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I am uh, I like to think that my pickup style is LeBron James meets Stephen Curry. Right. <laughs> but yeah, like I think Lyle's got like uh, a friend of mine, Ed Isaacson. He runs the NBA Draft Blog. He's a really good writer, and he wrote an article back in the day. I think last year he said there's a chance Lyle's is the best pro prospect on this Kentucky team. I wouldn't say that. I think Towns is. I'm going to talk about Towns, but he's very very talented. And I think long term he'll eventually become the full time four in Utah. They, they're going to have a tough choice about, I think, Gobert and Favors. There's going to be a ceiling with them in the modern NBA, kind of spacing for two traditional big men. And Lyles is like the perfect hybrid of 6'10", 250. He can switch out. He can shoot a little bit. He can hand. Really, the thing with him is he can handle and pass a good guard. He's got a very, very high feel for the game. For a guy who's as big as Chris Bosh, just about. Yeah, I mean, we wrote a we wrote a piece today as part of Rookie Week. Uh, Jesus Gomez, one of our, our writers, Basically making this point is, yeah, it's great that Trey Lyles is playing is ahead of schedule, but it sort of creates an uncomfortable reality for a team that whose identity, I would say, is so smash-mouth and defensive-oriented. And they have two very good bigs there. I mean, those two, Favors and Gobert, if you're going to pick any throwback combination to work in this modern era, you would probably take those two. But Lyles could be so good that even the throwback combo can't compete. And already... The Jazz are a better offensive team. Certainly they struggle defensively at this point because Lyles is only 19 or 20. Uh, but they're already a better offensive team when they put Lyles next to one of those guys and really split them interesting. up. And that was one of the, the really interesting findings we had uh, is, you know, it's about the same effect overall because they give it all back on defense. But the offensive efficiency of Lyles, let me look up the exact stat that Jesus dug up, which, I mean, this is early on in his career. I mean, he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. I mean, imagine when he gets some seasoning. So, yeah, when um, when it's Lyles and Favors, they have a 109 offensive rating. When it's Lyles and Gobert with, with the rest of the normal starters, I'm saying it's 112.5. When it's... Favors Gobert, it's 105.7. Now, again, the defense also goes up. But to me, that was a really interesting stat. Yeah, I mean, for a night, that's for a 20-year-old. He's, he's playing a role on a team that's in the playoff run. That's very, very impressive. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is he can shoot a lot better than I thought. Yeah, that was the big question about him coming out of college was that jump shot. He's 38% from three right now. He's got a nice mid-range game, too, although he, he probably takes a few too many. And he just has this way of kind of finding the pocket of space. Uh, he does a lot of, like, like what Trevor Booker does for them now, it strikes me that Lyles is just as good as him already at finding those little, the short roll pockets. And I, I don't know if they're trying to bring him along slowly or whatever, but to me, yeah, I, he deserves to play more right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's hard to quantify that, but, like, you watch him play, it's all his feel is really high. Like, very rarely is a guy his size going to have that just feel for the game. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's uh, very impressive. I totally agree with you. I think he could really change. I mean, we use the word disrupt, and I think that has both a negative connotation of like, well, it's kind of messing things up, but it's also in the tech world, you use it to kind of as a way of suggesting the old way kind of makes way for the new way. And that, to me, that describes what Trey Lyles could do to Utah. And I think still with, you know, with Gobert and Favor, you can always platoon those guys to this, you know, two at a time. There is enough minutes to go around. It's not like a pressing issue at all. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's a little more pressing than you. Also, I'm just, with Gobert, this is an aside, I just, it feels like he can't do anything really offensively. He's not a good screen setter. He's, they ignore him. I just I need to see a little more from him offensively. Uh, we are still a little far away from Lyles getting there, but I mean, I think that's a really good call. Is there is there anyone else even deeper than Lyles that you think is barely playing at all right now, is far behind, but you think it's kind of an interesting little prospect that we should keep an eye on? I like the two guys from LSU, uh, Jarrell Martin and Jordan Mickey. I think Martin went like 25 to Memphis. Mickey went like 32 to uh, Boston. And it's funny, like, I think watching... Everyone's watching LSU this season, and they're watching Ben Simmons. Like, man, how come Johnny Jones can't get more out of this team? Why aren't they better? It's like, I was thinking the same thing last year. I'm watching these two monsters. Like, man, these guys are so freaking talented. LSU should be so much better than what they are. And then, like, in the tournament, I think they lost in the first to NC State. They're up, like, 25 points, and they blow the entire game. They lose the lead. And I was like, man, these, this is costing these two guys so much money. Because LSU is not a like high-profile program, and they're not winning enough games, so they're gonna get a lot of national publicity. But these two guys can really play. I remember like when they played Kentucky, that was the one SEC front line where it was like, okay, let's play basketball. Like I got Mickey and Martin, you've got Towns and Collie Stein, let's go. Like we can run with these guys. Martin and Mickey, I think, are both extremely talented. Martin, I think he has a lot of like, I would say, kind of like a Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris type, six eight two forty plays inside and out. Like, he actually kind of like Trey Lyles as a freshman. He was a small forward when they had Johnny O'Brien, too. So they had Johnny O'Brien, Jordan Mickey, Jarrell Martin. And this guy's 6'8", 240, running off screens, shooting threes, playing like a three. They moved him down a spot. He had a huge year last year. I think to me, hey, he broke his foot throughout most season in Memphis, but I think he's a definite comer. I'd watch for him. Yeah, he he's playing now, Martin, too. He had a, he had a big game like the other night against Boston. He... He he looked. I mean, I I haven't. I don't watch a lot of these guys. You watch them, but when you were saying uh, that those two guys are guys to watch, I watched them a little bit, and I I really see what you're saying. I mean, defense is not all the way there. The on court awareness maybe not all the way there, but the guy can really score, and he can score without dribbling a lot. And he's got he can stretch, he can drive, he can score inside and out, and especially for Memphis, that's a guy they need. Because the long-term situation in Memphis does not look that good. Yeah, I mean, I think you could see him as, like, the stretch four for Gasol, the pick-and-pop with Conley. He's a big part of what they're going to want to do long-term, if he can stay healthy. He, he looked a little chubby. He definitely has to cut some weight. No, no doubt. Yeah, he, he looks like he, he had an injury and he's just starting to get back. I mean, not, not you know, a terrible character flaw chubby, but... You know, I haven't played in a while, Chubby. And then you mentioned Jordan Mickey. Kevin O'Connor, uh, who does draft stuff for us uh, now, he, he's a big Jordan Mickey guy as well. And I, I admit that I have not watched him very much. So tell me on what what does Jordan Mickey bring to the table? Well, I think with Mickey, he's kind of like, I'd say, like the small ball five prototype. He's like 6'8", but he's like a seven two seven three wingspan. He blocks shots really, really well. And he's fast enough where he can switch pick and rolls. 
So like I would say ten years ago you'd say, oh, this guy's a four. He's only six eight, he's not super big. But these days, give me a fast shot blocking five from guarding the perimeter more than a big kind of post defender. And then Mickey that's his main selling point on offense, great role man, decent post game, can twenty feet spot up and put on the floor a little bit too. But I would say like at the very least He'll be a shot blocking small ball five up tempo system spread. He's a great spread pick and roll five, basically. Who's he? Who's he? Kind of remind you of the most that that NBA fans might know who haven't watched him play a lot. Is it like a Brandon Wright? Is he uh, someone like that? He's not as big as Brandon Wright, but like an Ed Davis, maybe. I would say I'll, I'll give him. I wouldn't say he's this good, but he's our Dallas guy. I would say athletically, he reminds me of Kenyon Martin. Like, oh, okay. Wow. Like, he's a shot blocker, but I don't think right. he's got offensive ability. Right. I got you. Yeah, he was super athletic. Um, yeah, you know, the couple guys I kind of like down at the bottom that I probably – I, I want to run these by you just because you know more about this stuff. I'm just talking about guys I've seen in flashes. I kind of like Rashad Vaughn in Milwaukee. I'm not going to lie. I think he's got some offensive skill. I mean, he's a shooter. I, I didn't watch him a ton of UNLV because he got hurt like early in right. the season. So I think that might have hurt his draft stock a bit. But he's definitely a shooter, which is always you – know, that's a plus. Yeah, and now with Point Giannis, I feel like there's actually a spot for him. And I will cape, too, for Washington's guy, Kelly Oubre, who is not playing much right now because the Wizards are trying to win, and they've got a coach that plays veterans and doesn't tolerate mistakes. But I, I, I see some ability there. I mean, for sure. So I remember at the McDonald's game, he was viewed just in the same categories like Booker, Russell, Winslow. They were all kind of the top wings, kind of duking it out for the top spot. He goes to Kansas, which is not a great spot for wings generally. They play mm-hmm. very slow, two-post basketball. Bill Self is not exactly going to cut a lot of slack to a freshman. He kind of cleared just off pure ability, not really having to get a college level. The interesting guy, I think, him, play, him playing in space helped him a lot. Playing with John Walsh helped him a lot. So he's someone to watch for sure. Yeah, he had this stretch where he was playing very well, and then some of the rest of the wings got healthy, and he kind of lost his minutes. And I feel like he may have lost his confidence a little bit when that happened. When they had all those, when Otto Porter was hurt, when Allen Anderson was hurt, they they had to play him. And, you know, he shot the ball pretty well. I thought he showed some real defensive flashes. And now he's kind of been sitting down, and I think they might have lost some momentum there. A couple more things, and then we'll let you go. Uh, You talked a little bit before on on the air, I don't know much about the 2016 class. That's kind of more of uh, Ricky O'Donnell's domain. I've got a, I got enough NBA stuff to worry about. Everybody's saying this class is down. The one thing you were telling me is that just like this this year, last year, this year's got a lot of big men. But you don't think these big men are quite as good or quite as skilled? Yeah, I think like what's weird about this year's class, you've got a lot like three or four traditional fives. And you got a huge group of guys who would have been considered fours maybe ten years ago, but they really can't shoot, which means they're probably fives these days. Let me get the list of them real quick. Like you got Scala Bcier, Ivan Rab, Shake Diallo, Devontae Davis, Bryce Johnson. They're all considered like first round picks. They're all like your six ten ish, two twenty plus small ball fives, roll to the rim guys, shot blockers. And there's a lot of them in one draft. So, so why? I mean, with the we just talked about at the top of the show how the game is evolving, and this class in 2015 is the class of big men that have grown up having to learn small skills, and now they're in the league. Why is there sort of? Do you think there's a regression next year? Is it just coincidence, or is there a bigger reason? I mean, it's hard to say, right? I think it's just 
I mean, it's just hard, right? There's, to be, be that big and be that skilled on the perimeter where she's just dunking on people your whole life. Right. It's, it's just a tough part about it is going to be, because then you have like four or five traditional fives. You've got Jacob Pertle, A.J. Hammonds, Diamond Stone. It's like the, the uh, Steven Zimmerman from UNLV. And there's Gonzaga. And it's like, does every team need a center in the first round? Do we need 12 first round centers? I don't, it doesn't seem like that's a pressing need across the NBA right now. No, and I mean, it's the same thing in free agency. They're like all these centers that I wonder what kind of money they're going to get because it feels like so many teams are downsizing. So that'll be interesting to watch. And and then the last question, we talked a lot about how great this class is, but is there anyone that has been worse than you expected uh, coming in? You mentioned like Mario Hazonia hasn't really gotten a chance. I like you still believe in his ability. I just think he's he's with Skiles. That's a weird mix. They've got a lot of players, uh, but that would be one guy I guess that that might jump to mind. You know, we talked about Okafor nonstop and other places. So, but is there anyone? I mean, is there anyone that you think you really liked at the bottom of the draft? Maybe that is not shown anything yet. Well, I guess I could, one guy could say I'm a little worried about is Moutier because he was kind of brought into the peg as like, oh, he'll be the next like John Wall, but he's just not that kind of athlete, which is fine. But if you're going to be kind of like a decent to good athlete, but not like elite elite, you got to be able to shoot. You just you just have to. And so that to me is the big question with him is I'm not sure he has the athletic ability to not be a great shooter or at least a good shooter. Yeah, that's interesting because. At Summer League, everybody was wowed by him. He was the talk of Summer League, with the way he was playing and the vision he was showing. And I would say that he's shown flashes this year. But like you said, it has been a struggle. It's very clear that they believe in him. I mean, he's got the keys. He's their guy. Um, but you're right. He doesn't quite have the wall-level athleticism. I would say the vision is probably comparable but you're right. Without a shot, it's a little hard to see that. I still believe in him, but I tend to, I tend to be late on point guards who can't shoot. I tend to kind of always believe in them, and I'm proven wrong. I'm one of the last Michael Carter Williams fans on the planet that doesn't look so good right now. Yeah, I'm uh, still on the MCW. I mean, I think. Oh yeah. Okay. I, like I think it'd be Sean Livingston, right? Oh. Oh. All right. Okay, so but it's interesting you mentioned Moody because I I would say that a lot of people probably wouldn't say he's a he there's reason to be worried about him. They would say, well, he's young, he's nineteen, he was in China last year, the jump shot will come, it'll all be okay. But you are worried about him. I would just say that those are famous last words. The jump shot will come. I mean, I hope so. It'd be great if it did, but I don't know. It sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Or like yeah. look at like Lance Stevens that it came for a year in Indiana and then it went again, like. It's hard to be a jump shooter if I want to come on the NBA. Right, and especially now, it's hard to uh, be a bad jump shooter as a perimeter player if you're handling the ball a lot. Uh, so that that's an interesting point. Um, all right, well, this was a great. This was great. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate you sharing your expertise on what I think we both agree is a really promising rookie class. Where can people find you, real quick, uh, if they if they don't follow you already? Uh, just follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Sharks. Last name is spelled T J A R K S. And yeah, uh, actually, I got something coming up pretty soon. I'll make it a kind of a little transition. I can't announce it right now, but just keep your ears open. We'll hear about it soon enough, I think. Well, that, that's very exciting. And for all of you, uh, definitely down, 
Download the Limited Upside podcast in iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Limited Upside. We'd really appreciate a nice review. Uh, unless you really hate us, just send the email personally. But if you if you kind of like us, we'd really appreciate a nice nice review. You can find me at Mike Prada SBN. You can kind of find all our stuff on SBNation.com. Do check out all the Rookie Week pieces that we've done throughout the week. It's kind of a nice way we've tried to break from the monotony of the season. I'm really happy with how that's turned out. There's some really good stuff from Bethlehem Scholes on Carl Anthony Towns. you got Tom Ziller on Devin Booker and second-generation fathers. We've got some other really good stuff on the top prospects. I did a big thing on Justice Winslow. Definitely check it out at SBNation.com slash NBA. But until next time, hopefully with Ben back in the saddle, uh, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Podcast.